0: Is that Doc Hollywood? Are you talking about Doc Hollywood?
1: Yeah, yeah I'm talking about Doc... I'm talking about For Lover Money. Wait, what so are you Michael talking about the
0: plot of the TV show, Banshee? <laughs> <laughs> I don't
1: know. I thought that was about, uh, about Sean Cassidy, the X-Man member who can scream real loud.
0: If only, Elliot, if only. No, it's a show about a uh, criminal who gets out of jail mm-hmm. and he goes to a small town in Pennsylvania where he is at a bar and the new sheriff who just arrived in town gets killed so he becomes the new sheriff.
1: Oh. And this is set
0: in modern times and the main uh <laughs> the main criminal <laughs> mastermind is a former Amish guy. A, a former Amish guy. Yeah, he's he's no longer in the in he's no longer an Amish person. Okay. But he's still like he's still like badass. Like imagine like <laughs> the yeah, most like Amish badass people. Amish guy. Yeah, sure, <laughs> sure. Did you guys ever yeah, see like in, the,
2: uh, that documentary "Devil's Candy," which is about Rumspringa and the Amish people, I've heard of it, but I haven't seen it. I used to work at a video store, no. and it had maybe the best um, cover to gra- to grab you in a video store ever, which was an Amish girl in the back of a carriage smoking crack.
0: <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's pretty yeah. good because it's like good. they go uh, they sh-
2: go super hard in Rumspringa, and then you know they do a bunch of drugs and have sex, and you know, mm-hmm. and they were there for it. But uh, but there's a whole uh-huh. um, ex Amish criminal contingent who sells them the drugs. Mm-hmm.
0: Mm-hmm. Like in like this in TV show Banshee, Banshee that Banshee. I keep like like talking
2: about. Like in Banshee. Hey guys, uh, we've, let's, let's start this
1: episode. Sure.
0: Star this episode? Are you referring to Anthony Star, the star of Banshee, the TV show? <laughs> it's exactly what I'm referring to.
1: <laughs> hey everybody, welcome to the Flophouse Mini. That's uh, the off week episodes of the Flophouse where we're not stuck talking about some dumb movie that we watched, uh, but instead can talk about whatever we want. Hi, my name's Elliot Kalin. Who's with me tonight? Uh, Me, Dan McCoy, I guess.
0: Hey, and it's me, Stuart, number one podcast Banshee fan, apparently.
1: (laughs) Yeah, the only one of us who knows the plot and stars of Banshee. And we're joined today by a very special guest. We're joined by Joel Church Cooper. Yes, you know him. He's the creator of the IFC series Brockmire. He's been a writer for Hulu's Future Man. Thank you for being with us today, Joel.
2: Guys, it's a real pleasure, you know, first time, long time, and, uh, you know, I just, I love being a part of the world. I love making this parasocial relationship into a social relationship. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. It's, yeah, it's been oh,
1: wow, too, yeah. it's been one-sided for too long. Now, by first time, long time, you mean first time podcast guest, long time Banshee fan. Yes. <laughs> <You're talking> about, <laughs> yeah. We were talking about Banshee before the show or during the show, if Jordan leaves that stuff in. We'll see.
0: Uh-huh. Maybe she'll just keep that in her own special vault to listen to whenever she wants to. <laughs> yep. Here. Stuart talk about file. different elements of the TV show Banshee. Oh, yeah, <laughs> like how I feel like the third season kind of goes off the rails. But the file, we'll talk about that a later. A file folder
3: on her desktop uh, labeled Stewart re Banshee. <laughs>
1: mm-hmm.
3: no. Dip in whenever she needs some stew Banshee takes.
1: Now yeah. we ha- <laughs> every now and then she's just feeling the ur- she just can't quit cold turkey. She needs to eat. needs to ease off the stew Banshee takes. Yeah. Now, yeah. yeah. Uh, Joel is here today for a very important reason. Uh, Joel is a uh, successful Hollywood television person, and he has worked with several famous people who have done, let's say, less than – they've been in projects that are less than the best. And now Dan and Stu and I, we've long been just uh, just the (laughs) – the class clowns in the back just throwing spitballs at strangers. You know, just.
3: That is not what I thought you were going to say. I thought you were going to be like, so Dan, Dan Stu, and I, we've been long been at the peak of Hollywood. Uh, we have never <laughs> yeah, been involved know. in a pro- project we're embarrassed by. So we would not uh-huh. know anything about Light. that. Gwai no, no I'm like suggesting
0: that we're like uh, like a Statler, Waldorf, and Gonzo trio. <laughs>
1: how did we? Gonzo is in the show, Stu. I, I, he's not. He's not a side heckler. Gonzo is one of the stars of the show. He's the Gonzo the Great. He's the in-house artiste.
0: Yeah, I was I was giving you the credit of being the Gonzo, while Dan and I are, are Statler and Waldorf.
1: Okay, that makes sense. That makes sense because uh, Gonzo also Jewish. So uh, <laughs> is that canon? I mean, we all knew we all knew like we all knew that the signs were there. That the stereotypical Jewish love of being shot out of a cannon and <laughs> and having sex with chickens.
2: Yeah.
3: <laughs> I mean, you have a just shy of sexual relationship with chicken. I think.
1: Uh, it's entirely—I mean, it's an oral fixation with chickens because I eat them a lot. I don't know if I'd call it sexual, though it is a sensual pleasure. But anyway, the reason that we have Joel here today is not to talk about my possible Freudian relationship with— and It's not like they're living chickens, Dan. They're all dead fried chickens cut up in pieces, you know, which makes it sound worse now that I think <laughs> yeah. about it. Um, yes. Now, uh, Joel's worked with some very famous people, and I was wondering—I wanted to talk to him about— when you're working with someone who is very famous, who has been in, like, a really famous bad movie or bad TV show, how do you handle it? How, like, how do you not just want to talk to them about that all the time? Because the closest I could come to it on The Daily Show was talking to Daily Show correspondents, and they didn't care about the bad stuff they made. I think I've told the story before about going out to a meal with John Oliver and, and him saying— uh, it was a group of us and him saying, I'll pick up the check. And we said, no, no, no. And he goes, no, I got paid for the love guru today. And we go, okay. And he said, but by my paying this, you are all complicit in the making of the love guru. And we, and we went, no. And that's the closest I've ever been. So, Joel, what do you do? How do you handle that situation? Pop quiz, hotshot. <laughs>
2: um, well, you know, the whole thing, I think, with dealing with actors a little bit and sort of about their past and stuff is like – you can't. You kind of can't go too hot or too cold. You know, you can't go too fanboy, and you can't go like, Ooh, that was a real stinker." You know, <laughs> um, because either way, it they get they get cringy. Like they don't. You know, there are certain things they want to talk about about their past or others, but. Mainly, when I'm working with an actor, I just sort of let them, if they want to talk about their career, you know, they can talk about their career. I'm not going to press too much. Meanwhile, I'm, of course, dying inside to talk to them about either the thing that they were in that I loved or the thing that they were in that I thought was the worst piece of shit ever. and I want the juice behind it. But, um, uh, you know, you can't really you got to let them come to you a little bit. I think it was my relationship too. like I work with Hank Azaria for, you know, almost a decade on different variations of Brockmeyer. And it was two years in before I revealed that I was the biggest Simpsons fan of all time, <laughs> because <laughs> I just didn't want I almost I also I also kind of didn't want him to know he had that power over me, you know. <laughs> like mm-hmm. I just yeah, yeah, I just wanted to be like, oh, I'm just a guy who just oh, I know you from things. And then
1: did you pretend you didn't know the Simpsons? Was he like, <laughs> yeah? Well, when I did the Simpsons, you're like not familiar. What's yeah, that? Is that like a web series? And I'm like,
2: oh, th- is this some cartoon that you
0: guest starred on? <laughs> what is this again? Did is this, your child is this, do this? Is this <laughs>
1: Is this a cartoon yeah. that you're just a big fan of? Because you're, like, obsessed with these characters. Like, you're doing voices all the time of them. Like, I get it.
0: Was it difficult for you uh, to wear a shirt that didn't have the Bartman on it uh, when you went to work every day? Did, you, did that really yeah. fuck up your reputation? Well, specifically the
3: Bartman.
0: I wore the knockoff Bartman
3: you know, where
2: he was a little yeah. off color and didn't have the right number of ridges, so I could fool him into thinking that I wasn't a huge fan.
0: Um, yeah. <laughs> it yeah, just looked leg like barts are not necessarily true fan apparel <laughs> exactly. no, you
1: just you were just clo- you just had to be with whatever clothes you could buy on the street at that moment that was your explanation yeah it's like oh uh, it was a, it was a it was a prank I, I i was thrown on the street without a shirt and i had to buy whatever was available from a street <laughs> vendor
2: yeah yeah uh but this but this kind of is is a good sort of introduction to this conversation because um you know one thing about working with actors and they've been in things that you've That you've seen and like a lot of times it's the most important thing to you you know that their participation in this when you think of them you think of them in this project right like hank and the simpsons but for them it's just a gig You know, on most movie actors, even if they're the star of the movie, they work 30 days on that. Television show, it's a little something different, but television show, they filmed it that day. Usually, very few actors go back and watch it again. Now, there's an entire industry of them watching, rewatching the show on podcast form. That's a new thing. Most times, you know, actors don't go back. And so, you know, once I did reel to Hank that I was a Simpsons fan, sometimes you know we would do something and i would quote the simpsons sometimes his own dialogue back to them and he'd be like what is that what's that from <laughs> <laughs> and i would be like oh it's you know it's from one of the classic season 3 to 9 episodes i know by heart and you know i just uh-huh. thought that since it was you you would know and he was like you know man that was like a half an hour in the 90s and i said the thing <laughs> and, he, it,
0: i mean i've this is on a much different level obviously but i'll talk to say a listener at the bar And I'll have a couple of drinks in me, and they'll have a couple of drinks in them. You know, this is a different time pre COVID. And they'll. Yeah, people stop drinking
1: after COVID. Yeah.
0: They'll refer. (laughs) Or they don't do it at a bar with me, is the main thing. (laughs) Fair, fair. Uh, But the. The, somebody will reference a bit from an episode, and I'm like, I gotta tell you, at least the first ten years of this show, I was pretty drunk every episode. <laughs> <laughs> so did Hank Azaria use that excuse every time? Yeah, yeah he you no, know,
2: he, he's he's famously sober, so no. But um, uh, he just, you know, like especially recording jobs, like you know, he and he's a professional, so he'd bang it out three or four times, takes, and just move on. And like, there's there's like famous things like from the Poochie episode. Um, the whole thing about fireworks, you know, the fireworks factory gag of like, you know, like they keep promising they're going to to the fireworks factory and then they never do, and Millhouse goes crazy and he goes like, "When are they going to get to the fireworks factory?" You know. And yeah. so to I, put
1: that in Flophouse terms, that's like in the movie uh, Glass, Glass, where yeah, they yeah. keep saying they're going to go to yes. the tallest building in what Pittsburgh, and it never happens. <laughs> Philadelphia. Yes. And, Philadelphia and,
2: they're the same city. Uh, anyway, one hundred percent. That's you know that's M Night Shyamalan's fireworks factory, right? So in writing <laughs> yeah. terms and in show terms, sometimes I'll be like, and I've probably said, I know I've said it to Hank and I'll be like, it's just like, it's like, it's the fireworks factory. It's the thing we're promising if we don't do this. And I had, Hank's like, I don't know what you're talking about. And I was like, there's an episode of the Simpsons <laughs> called Poochie, you know, <laughs> you're Like, man, you're on that thing. again. It's the Poochie episode He's... is the most famous one because it's about the business that we work in and it's very <laughs> inside baseball, but done very well.
1: People love it because there are scenes in professional writers' rooms at TV shows.
3: <laughs> <laughs> no, it is it is true, though, that, like, you know, for someone like me watching The Simpsons, like, that's the most important thing to me because, like, that's the show I grew up with and watched over and over again. For them, it's just another day of their life. I remember when, like, you know, Elliot and I were working together when John was on The Daily Show and, like, John would come in at the end of the week and stare up at the cards on the board because he'd be like, okay, what did we do this week? I don't remember. Like, it flies would, out of there, your brain right right away. Th- th-
1: there would be Friday mornings where the interns or the PAs, I don't remember whose job it was, to redo the, the card bulletin board that, mm-hmm. that laid out what we did on the show, would change them too early in the morning. And we'd assemble for the meeting at the end of the week, and we'd look at the board, and it would be all new blank cards, and we would not remember yeah, what like happened that week. we'd stare
3: at each other like uh, I think it was a good week
1: um. it, or it reminds me of uh, I think George R. R. Martin has like a couple readers that he asks questions of so he'll be like wait what's this character's hair color again I, I better call Susie like Susie's read all these books and like for him it's just like a thing he made up mm-hmm. you know so it doesn't It I guess doesn't have the same what? level of <laughs> <laughs> I hate to bring it to you too oh Stuart <laughs> I, don't, I don't think he reads the books himself <laughs> I think he just kind of makes them up and writes them <laughs> and then forgets about them but, oh, he's having an existential I mean, crisis right in front of us. Oh, I mean, to be nice. fair, Stuart, it is— it Makes is, him up. Yeah, it's, 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 it's not, it's, they're not real chronicles of actual history, you know? Uh, uh, and he is a special case where he does forget that— like, he does have chronic amnesia like Dana Carvey in Blank Slate, so that's why it takes so long for the like books clean, to come out, because every, every morning he has to be reminded that he writes these books. <laughs> well,
3: don't want any, blank Slate? I don't want any <laughs> Clean Slate fans. Being like blank oh, clean slate. slate. Sorry, like, not blank slate. I, clearly, Elliot was thinking of blank check. The book, the, the <laughs> book, the movie about a kid who gets. a uh, blank like Dan check. is clearly
1: thinking of of blank man, the novelized adaptation. When he said the book.
2: <laughs> anyway, uh, so so actors. so, but but going back to the bad movies of it all, you know. So like you know, I I I, uh, I just. You know, I come at this as a fan with everything you start off as a fan, right? And then you want to do it mm-hmm. and then you try to do it and you usually end up copying the things that you like and then you get beyond it. And then if you're lucky enough and you, you know, you, you start working and you start working with people that you respect. And especially if you get in a position of power, you know, like if you run your own show, like I did on my show Brockmeyer, you can cast people that you've seen in things. And that's a great thing. And so, you know, we cast um, Amanda Peet uh, in the first season. So lucky to have her. She's such a great actress. It was a part that was really, I sort of envisioned uh, her in mind for. Her. And so to do it's great. And, you know, she's on set. And this is my first, I've been probably, you know, TV writer for five years, but it's the first job time a showrunner. I'm on set shooting the show. It's great. And she starts talking about uh, Aaron Sorkin and working on Studio 60, And it hadn't hit me yet that like Studio 60, my comedy obsession from, you know, whenever that was out, you know, that I used, I watched obsessively multiple times episodes laughing at the work (laughs) because Studio 60 is my kind of sort of bad movie, bad TV show. My Mm. personal favorite is really talented people who've gotten to a point in their career where no one says no and and everyone's just smiling and and going more. do it. Yes. Mm-hmm. And especially writers too, because I feel like I'm a, a, you know, I'm a similar kind of writer, and I can sometimes come at things, right? No subtle glancings, no, I try to like really write the line that says it or whatever, and which can go wrong a lot of times and sometimes you're too purple. So I think my own fear of becoming that, <laughs> I gravitate towards your life itself,
0: your yeah. studio sixties. Mm-hmm.
2: Um, you know, we can all think of that example of the of the personal you know project that goes wrong.
1: The personal project where the artist is like, this is my statement that I'm making to the world about what is most important to me. And then mm-hmm. it, it comes
0: out and people are like, uh, this, uh, like, um,
2: uh, this uh, book of
0: Henry should have stayed closed.
2: <laughs> book of Henry is, is a great one. It's, you know, it's, it's the newest one. And uh, and so, you know, with Sorkin, he clearly has this obsession with SNL and with comedy, despite. And despite, like, a real misunderstanding of comedians and how comedy works, it gets made, what it's like to be (laughs) around them, what comedians talk about, like, that show had no bits in it. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> no one did any bits. No. It was just they people in hallways seriously talking about comedy as if like it's life or death. Where literally there's a scene halfway through where uh Nate Cordry is showing his parents around and his mom goes, like, So this is where you do the skits? And he goes, They're sketches, mom. Sketches. And he storms away angrily because in Sorkin's mind, that's what comedians do. They take it so seriously. It's the. I it's mean, to, to be fair, I, I hate I hate the word
3: skit over sketch, but I would just internally roll my eyes. I wouldn't let angrily. Well,
1: but I feel like in a real in a real comedy place, he would have said, "Yeah, yeah, they're skits, Mom," and then would have said to his his, his writers, "Yeah, my mom called it a skit," and they'd be like uh they'd be like oh well maybe she met skitch and they would just be called skitches from then on at the <laughs> office and three generations of employees later they would still be calling them skitches and no one would remember where
2: it came from yeah i feel like that's and then the christmas the gift that, uh, would be like an off-brand uh disney uh like lilo and stitch but it'd be called skitch
1: <laughs> it's uh, sketch. and people would be like this is amazing and they'd be like i don't understand anymore where this came it's like uh the when a. Uh, when a meme gets turned into something so completely yes, different and you're like, yeah, yeah, well, that's based on a Japanese cartoon about a dog that pees on a cat. And you're like, yeah. really? Then why?
0: I don't understand. Yeah, you'll, you'll see a meme and Wha- you'll be like, what the fuck <laughs> is this? And then the first comment is oh my God, I can't, like, this is so me or something. And you're like, I don't, what, how? How did this connect with you so deeply? And then you spend the next four hours going through rabbit holes trying to figure it all out. And by the end, you find out that George R. R. Martin just makes it up. What the fuck? Stuart, this isn't how I wanted you to find out. I'm sorry, it just came out of me. I mean... I feel like
3: I went through that, though. The first time I saw the butterfly meme, I'm like, okay, I need to see six more of these, and then I will kind of get the general idea of what this thing Which is. Which one is that one? Dan,
1: describe describe the meme to me in words. Uh, this a, is the best way a, to communicate them. There's
3: a bookish-looking uh, man. He is—, he is uh, Oh, yeah,
1: yeah. Okay, I know the one you're talking yeah, about. Yeah, and
3: he has a book. I think he actually has a book. Uh-huh. He is an, a nerdy-looking uh, Japanese teen boy, but like the handsome Japanese teen boy nerd, and a butterfly is yeah, yeah. a lighting in front of him. And, yeah, yeah. Yeah, you'll you'll, you'll right. label everything in there like it's a fucking
2: Tom and Thomas Nast cartoon. <laughs> yeah,
1: everything gets labeled, sure.
2: <laughs> so so my fur is like third day on set, I'm uh, she mentioned Sorkin, I immediately have the not so brilliant idea, "Oh, I will talk to her about Studio 60 and see if she can give me some like <laughs> juicy backs, you know, what's it like, mm-hmm. whatever or and maybe she'll she'll like, you know, maybe she'll get like the maybe she's like one of the people because it was a I wasn't alone in my Studio 60 obsession. It was a very comedy yes. writer, improviser, you know, thing that we, everyone, you know, I watched every episode. It was a show behind the scenes of SNL that in the end was a three part. They, they ended the, their one season with a three part episode about a kidnap and rescue where Nate Cordry's cast member's brother was kidnapped by the Taliban and the NBC executive <laughs> had to buy it. And they watched the rescue from the uh, director's booth of the studio because Sorkin at that point just had lost the plot and was like i don't know a a west wing idea that i forgot about it's
1: uh, it's it's a it's like you're saying it is it is set in a world where comedy is treated as seriously as the things that on the west wing were in the newsroom and like the series opens with the like a, a real network style the head writer like walks off he hates how how bad this show has gotten and then they hire a new head writer and there's a press conference where the new head writer is introduced to probably 40 reporters in the lobby of this big like fancy building and i just remember like when i became head writer of the daily show i don't think they even announced it to <laughs> anybody. like I, I think the only di- like if you didn't watch the credits you wouldn't know there was a new head writer but you know you, but and also the credits most episodes so. you know you I mean, didn't do a like...
2: giant musical number from the hms pinafore as your big <laughs> uh, opening episode oh. move so <laughs> uh, that was
1: that that I mean, it's also the fact that, like—and it was strange that, like, Mark McKinney was on that show and from one of the greatest sketch shows of all time, and yet, like, the the sketches on it, it was almost like they were like, how do we make these— the least funny sketches <laughs> in the history of the world.
0: Like you're saying, sketches, right? Yeah. Oh, I meant sketches
1: because they're named after Sketch Henderson. I
0: mean, the thing
3: yeah, yeah, S- yeah. The Sorkin too. Like, good Sorkin's a lot of fun. Bad Sorkin is awful. But like, he can write a joke. He can just he just writes it in the context of like these are the characters I've established as the world. Like he'll he will write a funny line. But then writing about comedy, he seemed to be laboring under the misapprehension that everyone in comedy got into it because they want to, like, mer- make serious points about, like, truth. And the thing is, like, yeah, comedy can be good at that. People laugh because they uh, recognize the inherent truth in something. But it's not like people get into comedy and like, yes, yes, I'm going to expose things.
1: That is... No, no, you get to you start telling so jokes about serious things when you realize that the jokes about silly things you 've been telling have failed to fill the emptiness inside mm-hmm. you that you thought you could fill with the laughter of others and you 're like, "Oh, I see i 'll fill it with people <laughs> nodding and saying, "Ah, yes, ah, yes," yeah. Yeah. and then you do that, and that doesn 't fill it either that 's when you start doing just straight dramas and you 're like, "Okay, when people cry when they see me on screen mm-hmm. that 's yeah. when it 'll fill mm-hmm. the hole that doesn 't do it either. And you realize eventually there's only one thing that can fill that hole, and that's a doctor implanting a hole filler, which is something they do <laughs> I now. I thought you
3: were going to get – much darker. There's only one thing that can fill that hole, and that's the grave digger above your grave when you die. Uh,
1: I mean,
0: yeah, it yeah, would the be the amazing. Grave digger, the monster truck, <laughs> exactly. We'll yeah, I mean, push that what? dirt into your grave, <laughs> and you're like, shouldn't you have a fucking shovel, dude? Um, so wait, no. we've delayed the
3: this uh, the this, this story too. Uh, well, oh, I would just say one thing: okay. grave,
1: digger, grave digger, should have a plow front okay. so it can Thank move you. that dirt, and it does not. And I've, this is a hobby horse I know <laughs> been on a lot that grave digger should have a plow on uh, on its front, and it doesn't. So I apologize. Okay. Anyway, Joe Saying so, she brings up Sorkin. So, this, you're finally going to spring all those sweet yes. Studio 60 this questions. This was during a her.
0: walk and talk.
1: I'm
2: only hoping. Yes, yes. We're just walking in a circle around the set um, uh, while people look at papers that have nothing written on them. Oh, okay. um and uh oh, that yeah, was the it, thing
1: we used to do in the that was the thing we used to do in the daily show offices a lot is we just pick up a piece of paper off a desk and glance at it and say this is good stuff and that was our studio 60-bit <laughs> but okay so you're so you're so, talking to you're talking so to I'm Amanda talking to Pee-
2: her, and I'm really excited to get into this juicy business about the show and like this goes back to the earlier thing about um about the actors not having the same relationship she was not aware that like there was a a group of people who made fun of that show, or cared about it still, or cared about to make fun of it, and she was—I would, you know—in a professional way, resistant to the idea that it was bad and that she would be complicit <laughs> with be shitting on it. Yeah. Um, and it wasn't the greatest move on my part. It was a very early showrunner move of mine, and uh, and then immediately I talked to her a little bit, and she politely sort of um, was like, "I don't, I'm not going to do that." Why? And then she sort of explained her experience on it and her experience is one of very real. And it was one of a working actor of she, you know, got a big part on a big show and, you know, it was an ensemble. It was, the hours were great. Her best friend, Sarah Paulson, they got to hang on, you know, set together and hang out in each other's dressing rooms. She got pregnant on the show. They, they were really cool about her hours and like, and she got to deliver Aaron Sorkin monologues and, you know, it didn't work out that great, but she's been in worse things and she's been in better things. And like, why are you bringing it up five years later? <laughs> it was a real like I, I just they they said um, um, Eli Wallach was an old writer and it was kind of funny that you know he was talking about <laughs> 1950s comedy and everyone gathered around him like he was an old sage and it was just funny. Yeah,
1: but don't, don't you think? But don't you think it was crazy that the writers' room was so dimly lit on the show? And there were She's like, like, like six writers and
2: like SNL has like thirty writers. It's unrealistic. So she wasn't really playing along, and for good reason which was that like that was a good gig for her but there was one sequence where because she got pregnant they didn't really know what to do and and he it sort of threw his storyline off and so he was like oh i'll just get her together bradley whitford and it'll be a phone relationship and she can just do things over the phone and so as part of that like you know bradley whitford had this one scene where like he was like i love you on the phone they, there had been no indication of a relationship between them he's like you know what i realized i love you and i'm gonna come get you and then she was like okay and it was very aggressive and in that Sorkin way like not the greatest to the female uh characters mm. and their agency and uh and she was like yeah it's cuz i was pregnant and they wrote around it what's your problem with it and i was like oh yeah <laughs> that's no you're yeah he was just being a good producer and helping you i'm sorry you know <laughs> i mean i this is i think this is a great thing to
3: remember cuz like it's a weird thing for us to say as a bad movie podcast for sure <laughs> Uh, but on. you know like these things are not like things to get mad about <laughs> we can all lighten up like i <laughs> i no i mean particularly in this age of the internet you see so much vitriol like why did this person who i like a, an actor i like do this thing i feel like i've got this relationship with them that means they won't do this shitty series and it's like yeah but you know a lot of people are just working actors like they're doing things there are all sorts of factors that go into people's personal lives that that make decisions and you know what like art sometimes is like sixth on the
0: list (laughs) yeah and
1: and also and actors because they're the most visible part of a thing they often get they get this stuff hung around their neck that's not really their fault that it's bad and that they didn't have them i was thinking a lot about how like uh how catwoman is always going to be the Halle Berry movie Catwoman, but like Halle Berry didn't write it or direct it or produce it. Like she's in it. I mean, but it's to not like fair, it's not I like she was. off. Got a lot of work after Catwoman. <laughs> no, that's true. But it's not like she was the. It's not like she, she was the guiding force behind Catwoman. Yeah. You know, for her it was like, hey, do you want to be a superhero movie? Well, how much you're going to pay me to be in this superhero movie? This much, then yes, I will be in your superhero movie. Yeah, yeah. We're like how. Uh, and it all gets forgotten eventually uh, like how uh, a lot of people forget that George C. Scott did a sitcom for one year where he was the president and it's not something that comes up a lot when you talk about George C. <laughs> Scott but I bet there was a time when he was walking around and someone was like, "Oh Mr. Scott, I'm such a big fan of yours and he was like, "Oh what a uh, Patton the hospital Dr. Strangelove? he goes, "I love that president show that you did Tell me all the amazing stories behind it and he's like, "I don't know I did it for a year like I don't I don't remember." And he, but he, did, he said it like George C. Scott, so it was like, I don't know. Because <laughs> ah. that's what he sounds like, you know? Uh,
2: well, I would say like something I, I try to think of, too, is like sometimes you can be good and do your job well as an actor— and then you just run into the wall that your writer and your director sort of put in front of you, right? Like Kirsten yeah. Dunst and Elizabeth Town get saddled with Manic Pixie Dream Girl, right? Be- I would argue because mm-hmm. she does what Cameron Crowe wants so well.
3: Yeah, she sort yeah. of
2: nails an aesthetic that he's looking for, and you know, it. And the movie is not good, and and you want to talk about another bad movie of, of when you get to the point where no one says no, and um and is that a bad performance? Maybe, right. but maybe it's just a good performance of what he wanted. And and you know, and so you're as an actor, you're so vulnerable. You're you're because you're the you're the only thing that people see, and you have the least power. You know, the sound guy has more power mm-hmm. than you. The you know the camera crew has more power than you. The writer, the director, the editor. But
1: that's but I, but I, that's because they have electric power, which yes. is you know mm-hmm. that runs the world you know it. There, that's that that kind of power That's why, can that's, against, why, that, you know? that's
2: why they call him best boy because he has the most power on set you know he's plugging in he's plugging out mm-hmm.
1: <laughs> he's the, he's the guy who literally stands by the switch that turns on the electricity for the set and goes uh uh-uh, uh stay <laughs> yeah. on my good side didn't like Who's that the best thing, boy
0: I, uh, you're the best them, boy <laughs> don't turn the power off you're the best they boy they call him they call him Best Boy because he's the guy who has to run to Best Buy if they need something, right?
2: <laughs> exactly. That's why they named it Best Buy because there was those Best Boys yeah, running yeah. around town yeah. going to different hardware yeah. stores yeah, was, being like... full
0: of Best Boys. <laughs> yeah. Do you have a four-plugger? As,
1: as a child, he was bitten by Pete Best and he gained the powers to have almost been in the Beatles and became the superhero Best Boy. And uh, unfortunately, yeah. when he grew up, people still knew him as Best Boy so he still went by that even though he's an old man now.
3: But this is a good point though. Like These things are so collaborative that no one should either get like all the blame or even all the credit which i like i don't know i've only i've only ever written on the one show but like there have been times in my life where people (laughs) assume that i'm a lot smarter than i am because they like the daily show so much i'm like oh no 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 most of us are dumb you know <laughs> dan goes
1: talk to me for a few minutes
3: yeah and and it's like i i this is kind of like what i was saying about new mutants what you're saying now about how like i know anya taylor joy is a great actor from seeing her and other things so i'm not going to get too mad at her and new mutants for like having an accent that's really silly i'm going to be more like if if anything i'm just
2: gonna be like oh the director should have told her not to do that accent <laughs> I'm Jesse Thorne. On the next Bullseye, we've got the one and only Ted Danson. We'll talk about his new show, Mr. Mayor, about Cheers, and about the secret to success in comedy. I mean, I I feel like one of your signature comedic moves at this point uh, in your career is gazing. Uh, You do a lot of interesting gazing. (laughs) I also love this, gazing. I love that. And if I'm not, I'm going to start because that's great. That's bullseye. Find it on MaximumFun.org and PR.org and wherever you get podcasts.
0: Welcome back to Fireside Chat on KMAX. With me in studio to take your calls is the dopest duo on the West Coast, Oliver Wong and Morgan Rhodes. Go ahead, caller.
2: Hey, I'm looking for a music podcast that's insightful and thoughtful, but like also helps me discover artists and albums that I've never heard of. Yeah, man. Sounds like you need to listen to Heat Rocks every week. Myself and I'm Morgan Rhodes, and my co-host here, Oliver Wong, talk to influential guests about a canonical album that has changed their lives. Guests like Moby, Open Mike Eagle, talk about albums by Prince Joni Mitchell and so much more. Yo, what's that show called again? Heat Rocks, deep dives into hot records every Thursday on Maximum Fun. Another thing I was thinking about about this is like, you know, I used to host bad movie nights at my house and I've been to cat screenings and, you know, um, lots of bad movie, you know, midnight shows. And I went with my comedian friends and my writer friends and my improviser friends and I've never known an actor who was into bad movies in the same way. <laughs> <You know? laughs> it's not a, you know, when you go to acting school or acting class and they make you be an animal for 20 you know, minutes or they make you be the personification of regret. All of these things that are just like ripping your insides open to get you as most vulnerable as you can to get your, uh, you know, whatever guard you have as a natural human being and just destroy it. You then, I don't think... <laughs> Can go and watch someone on screen and be like, "They're so stupid! Look at that! That's so dumb! Look at they are not even doing it well." I think yeah. fundamentally, they think they're cats. Yeah, exactly. Can you Look believe at that? that! They were so excited to get that they told their parents. That they're dumb, you know. Like, I, they don't have you know you this.
3: You saying this has uh, brought me to a shocking revelation, and I don't know. You can all decide whether this is significant or not. Uh, I watch a bad movie or, or TV show, and I am mostly inclined, if I'm going to single out anyone to blame, to blame the writer. And that is yeah. my job. So, what does that mean?
2: <laughs> <laughs> mm-hmm. No, I agree. It's, what? you know, something's the fault. It's, I think it's usually, especially in TV, which is so much of a writer's medium where the writers really control it's the only (laughs) it's the only artistic uh, field where the writers have power and so when there's something bad in tv like you know i've worked on things that didn't turn out great and we were all in the room and we were trying our best and and uh for different reasons and you know when i look back at like well what went wrong usually it was we were unable we maybe went in the wrong area this wasn't that funny as funny as we thought it was in the room or we, it was funny to us, but we didn't translate it to the actors, never made it to the page in that way, or it was a room bit that never should have made it to the script, you know. There's all kinds of things, and usually when something that I'm a part of in TV isn't successful, it's, it's our fault of the writer's room. Yeah,
1: yeah I, I, the, uh, I, I've never really thought about this before, but the way you described acting school— is really like being an actor is being is choosing to be inducted into like a cult where they break you down so that you're just <laughs> you'll just do anything like you'll do whatever's on the page and it's such it, it's so it's so like uh like it's really terrifying to me and there are times in my life where I'm like mm, you know what if I worked at it I think I could be like a so-so actor like I think I could be a, an okay non-professional community theater actor but the way you described it I don't have the guts for that to just to just enter in and just become like, uh, you know, this uh this person who just like in the Marines where they tear you down completely. So you'll just take orders. That seems so frightening to me. Actors, you got you got what it takes Whoa. and I don't. Anyway, here's the script. <laughs> yeah, I mean, You're going to do a lot it's... of dumb stuff in it. So go do it. <laughs>
0: I mean, I'll 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 stand up for actors now, you know. As uh, I don't know if you guys know this, uh, I'm a credited actor. Uh-huh. I do a voice. Uh-huh. I'm Tube Man and Psycho uh-huh. Horror man. We're all aware. <laughs> We're so, all yeah, aware, I mean, Stewart. What was your? So yeah. did
3: you? It's, you know, like pull your, you know, exposure, self, your vulnerabilities.
0: Of course I did. It, couldn't you tell it was all on the screen, Dan? Yeah, that's true. You
3: you did seem to be just a sort of a brain in a tube. <laughs> exactly. I
1: mean, Dan, do you understand how vulnerable you are if you're a brain in a tube? Anybody could just knock you over. He doesn't even you have skin.
2: Like a he doesn't even have a skeletal system. He has nothing. He's the most vulnerable he, he could doesn't.
3: be. Yeah, that's eat your thing, fucking guys. heart out, Christian Bale. <laughs> Don't tell him yeah. that, Dan. He'll
1: think it's for a part, and he'll do it.
3: Yeah,
2: Uh, but this is kind of a good Uh, segue to another sort of story about, uh, you know, talking to actors about bad things, which is that, um, I worked on, uh, a Gary Shandling pilot right before he died. Oh, wow. And, um, and as part of that, um, I got to hang out at Gary Shandling's house and sort of talk to him for, you know, we, we were in the sort of scripting stage, so it wasn't too much. It was probably like three meetings totaling like nine hours. And, um... What he really talked to me about the most was his experiences on Larry Sanders and his experiences on What Planet Are You From, um, which is this terrible movie that he made um, that he Mm -hmm. wrote and starred in that Mike Nichols directed. And he was telling me this because, you know, he hadn't done a show since Larry Sanders and his friend, an agent uh, who I knew uh, barely, but kind of brought me in on this project, was trying to get him back out there and trying to get him to sort of he was, you know, he'd really found a kind of Zen Guru esque lifestyle in his personal life, where he was very satisfied and he was very happy. But in his professional life, it was really this thing hanging there. Of he had such a bad experience of Larry Sanders. You can watch the the documentary about it, where essentially his manager stole money from him um, four different ways, and then when he sued them, um, uh, bugged his phone to listen in on his conversations for the case. Which, you know, this was, it was Brad Gray, um, who was a big time Hollywood guy, and um, they were best friends for years. And it was such a personal betrayal that he just, the, it was, you know, 20 years later, it was just right on the surface. He just couldn't. Um, and 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 in talking about working and could he do this project with with me and, you know, could he play this character? He would just talk about it because it was just like, I you know, basically, like, can I, I is this going to hurt me like that hurt me? You know, like I, it was still so raw. And he also talked about what planet are you from, which he wrote as as sort of his his starring vehicle to break out from TV to film. And he worked on the script for a long time. And then he hired. It was an amazing cast. It's like John Goodman, um, Annette Benning, Greg Kinnear, Ben Kingsley. It's just a you know all star cast. And what he described is basically, and, and, and they're both dead, so I can sort of talk about it. But it's also been talked about in other places. Mm-hmm. But what he talked about is um, Mike Nichols just didn't like him kind of personally, and didn't think he was a good actor, and <laughs> didn't think the script, and, and didn't like. Whatever I think they thought it was kinda be kind of a defending your life kind of slightly raised comedic sci fi premise that actually gets into larger questions. And it just wasn't there. And I think Mike Nichols, you know, maybe a weekend was like, Oof, this isn't good. You know what? Let's knock off at four thirty and collect our paychecks and go home. And um, <laughs> Gary Shandling was like, this is my film. You know, this is the thing that I've been working on forever. And that it's let's stay till midnight and do 100 takes and improvise. He was he loved improv. And the, the fact that my Nichols would just look at him and go like, no, it's never going to get better than this. And what, I, what I've sort of heard about my Nichols is that, you know, he was very direct and could be withering. He could be funny and clever and affable, but, like, if it wasn't, he was direct. And uh, Gary Shandling was, like, the most sensitive person you will ever meet in a way where it was, like, his superpower. If you think about Larry Sanders, like, what is so good about it is, like, the little social interactions the 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 sort of toxic masculinity how it you know how it shows itself in a gesture in a way of how ego gets punctured these are really hard concepts to put into a script and he was just a, he would pick up anything and whenever you talk to him he was always uh he would always have the conversation with you you were having and then he, w- he would also be having the conversation about the conversation you were having so he'd be like, okay, so you took what I said like this, but actually I not didn't mean like that. And I could see by what you're doing now. And he was always dead on, right? So here's this, this human membrane that is, like, picking up everything. <laughs> and then you have this comedy legend who is like, you don't got it, kid. And so he would describe, like, having panic attacks and, like, not wanting to come out of his trailer. And it was not something that was, like... You could be like, yeah, but it was dumb, right? You know, <laughs> it was like what he was doing. You know. <laughs>
1: yeah, but it was just a job. Yeah, huh? yeah, yeah it but stupid? it was like a bad like,
2: movie. But like, you know, but you did good things Now it's a bad thing. Like, so what? It was like I spent years of my life on this to to uh, be tortured by my hero is how he sort of phrased it. And I'm sure Mike Nichols would have his own version. I wasn't in his living room, so he didn't tell me that. But, you know, yeah. if I look the at— The Mike
1: Nichols version would be like, did I make that? Hmm. Oh, yeah. I guess I did. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. Nice guy. Gary Shanley. Anyway, like (laughs) like the way that you meet your high school bully and he's like, hey, nice to see you, man. And it's like you were like I have nightmares about you. And he's like, yeah, I don't know. High school. Am I right? So what are you doing these days? Like I just don't remember it.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I mean, I think I think Mike Nichols has done what he did, 30 movies like, you know, he did some stinkers and I think he knew the feeling of it. And he was just like. I'm old. This one isn't it. Let's get through it. And yeah.
1: he's like, he's just shouting, he's like, we got a wolf on our hands. This is a wolf, yes. everybody. All right,
2: let's get this done. It's a wolf. And, you know, maybe if they had done the work that Gary wanted, they could have rescued it. Or maybe, I'm probably leaning to the Mike at all, it was a misbegotten premise that was sort of never going to get there. And, you know, going home at 4.30 is always nice. But, uh, <laughs> but clearly, like, but Shandling, like, he just... It, and, and, and he brought it up, I think, because we were working on something and because it was like I was trying to coax him back into the world of acting and, and TV. And he was he was very happy to be a guru to so many powerful people, you know, to Judd Apatow, to John Favreau, where these people would show him everything they were doing. So he had this – so he still was feeling artistically heard and important, and he was so happy in his sort of personal life with the basketball game, and he had great friendships and, like – and there i was asking him to like take the leap again and he was telling me but i got hurt so bad like how do i know you're not gonna hurt me in his own way and the last thing he ever said he died a week later we ended a meeting and he was looking at me sort of critically and he said i'm uncomfortable with your certainty uh with your level of certainty and i said about what And he said about (laughs) everything (laughs) <laughs> I just said to my friends the anecdote, and they were like, "That is the most accurate thing I, anyone has ever said about you." Of like, of like that is a thing. Like when I pitch and when I talk, I am very certain. And then someone pitches me the better idea, and I go, "You're right, that's better." Now I'm certain you have the thing, and that's going to be the thing. <laughs> but but it was it was it was a sort of a it spoke to his ability to sort of look you and really see your essence, and to and to just nail who you were as a person. And that and he was telling me basically like. I'm unsure of you and we were still in the sort of pilot stage and then and then he died the next week and you know um, and but he still left me with something I mean he was just known for that and so I, I'm not telling the story to sort of to shit on Mike Nichols you know who's a genius and has done some of the best movies of all time <laughs> or to shit on Gary Shanley who did arguably the best comedy of all time and maybe two of the top ten. These are great artists who did something that didn't work and you know for Mike Nichols it was probably just a job but for Gary Shanley it was a wound he carried his whole life you know very... Rare is the actor who takes a paycheck gig and then doesn't invest something of themselves in it. And he was the kind of—he was a writer-actor, so everything he did, he put everything into. And so when it failed and it was bad and it was mocked, it hurt him so that he was still telling me these stories 20 years later, and it was like it happened yesterday.
1: You were basically in the position of—you were the government agent who shows up at his cabin where he's chopping wood— and he's got a long beard, and you're like, "We need you for another mission." And he's like, "No, I can't do it again." And then, but instead of going out for the mission, he has you sit down for like three hours and kind of like, t- like lays the whole story out for you, so that you know how badly he got hurt on that last mission. Mm-hmm. And then you walk away, and you're like, "Yeah, maybe you shouldn't." Yeah. Oh, okay. Like, I'd, I totally get why you don't want to do this mission I, now. I
3: mean, hearing all this makes me uh, uh, feel kind of guilty for uh basically everyone involved in any movie we've uh, made fun of over the years i'm, I'm sorry chris i'm sorry chris whites i'm sorry uh you know well, chris, name, the, another uh-huh. name another person well, name another
1: we we person the years, yeah. <laughs> yeah i guess that's true i think
2: you guys do a nice job of separating the actors from it even in your new mutants episode last week you were yeah and it taylor joy took a shot on an accident see i didn't see the movie but it seems as you guys they didn't really hit but you acknowledge that she's a great actress and probably the next big thing that, you know, is going to be in all these great movies and Queen's Gambit's great. So I think you guys do a nice job of keeping it focused on where the mockery should be focused on.
3: Well, I, I hope so. I mean, even like, I mean, you know, even the screenplay stuff, though, I say that I'm more inclined to blame the, the script. But, you know, almost all of these movies, unless it's something like, you know, like Food Fight or whatever, some like (laughs) fringe nonsense. Like almost all these movies are from people who have done work before and will do work good work again. You know, like like I don't wanna make fun of I don't wanna like dismiss someone unless uh they're a miserable human being, like on the basis of like, oh, maybe they've had a couple of stinkers in their uh professional life. I mean, they're but for the grace of God.
0: I know, but if you only
2: let yourself that, you'd just be just Chevy Chase movies, right? And like you know, yeah, that's a exactly. short podcast.
0: That's that's true. It's a simple <laughs> yeah. podcast. Yeah. Chasing our own tails with it's, that one. It's, well, it's called chasing Chevy. Oh, uh, and you just yeah. I mean, that's a little on the nose, but okay. Welcome okay. to episode five of Modern it?
2: Problems, where we end early <laughs> <Yeah>.
1: Modern
0: Problems. <laughs> we're minute <talking> about, <laughs> Mid by minute, we're talking about Modern Problems
1: again. Join us on our other <laughs> podcast, Cops and Podcastersons. Uh, the uh, oh, no. So I think, and the other thing to keep in mind also is that, like, there's a certain, I mean, the thing that I loved about Cats, the most joyful movie-going experience I had in the oh, year 2020. So good. Which, again, not not saying that much since I only went to the theater twice, <laughs> I think, in the year 2020. But the other one was Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, which I also loved. So, like, that's, you know. But that uh, the, to see someone try so hard... For something big and fail at it is it gives you kind of like the reverse hope of like, oh, this is better than living in a world where every movie was just kind of like mediocre. Where every movie was just kind of like the kinds of thrillers that were churned out in the 90s where it's like, okay, this is fine. Okay. Oh, another one of these. Great. And now oh now the the secretary of defense is going to tell them why they need to save all those hostages. Okay. Now they're doing it. And Harrison Ford says, get off my plane. And the movie's over. Okay. That was acceptable. Like, you want to live in a world where people are trying and failing because it means that they are also trying and sometimes succeeding, uh, and rather than not trying. Well, and, and just also that, like
3: the extravagant foolishness of it is endearing. <laughs> I mean, in Katz's case too, <laughs> the
1: fact that it is that you can in every every frame of that that uh, that strange like m- creature you're like, oh, the people making this really cared about Cats. Like, they yeah. really, like, they re- they wanted to do this right, and maybe there is no way to do this right on film, but they tried it. And e- And all the performers, like, you can't, fault them in that one because they're they're you know they're doing exactly what you're talking about joel where they're like yeah i'm making myself vulnerable and i'm doing this role like i'm gonna be this cat i'm not gonna wink at the audience and be like isn't it dumb that i'm like rubbing my head on another person's head and we have cgi fur all over our bodies yeah, i'm not
0: gonna i'm not gonna billy zane my way through this movie
1: <laughs> although now i want to see billy zane's cats where he does all the parts <laughs> <but>. wow <laughs>
2: but you know like and- i want
1: i want every, every if every movie could have the passion of cats or val kilmer's mark twain show that he used to do like then yeah i want everything to have that passion where you're like this is not working but i feel like you are you're entering a sort of mystic ecstatic state at how much you are trying to make it work
2: yeah know? and uh you know cats was i saw an opening night in a, at the arc light at the at a 10 p.m screening with about a half a crowd with about half gay everyone was familiar with the uh, with the musical everyone was a little drunk and kind of knew what we were in for i was sitting next we were it was a group of people who love bad movies i was sitting next to a guys who do a post for a living and they would be whispering in my ears like Look in the back right corner; it's not rendered. And, uh, <laughs> and everyone's drunk. Everyone's singing along. Everyone's shouting. I was—I kept shouting, "What size are they?" That was my bit, which was killing because they kept, you know, they asked, you know, they were <laughs> changing from scene to scene. And then a sort yeah, of collective yeah. mania hit. By the time "Scamble Shanks" came around, and we were all drunk, oh, everyone started uh, standing and stomping to "Scamble Shanks," and we—the collective delirium. <laughs> And I've been chasing that high, you know, that was, I, I had that about two oh. months before the pandemic and, I, uh, I don't and I, know. that's, that was the happiest I have been, <laughs> uh, maybe, I have, you know, maybe and, never and, I can remember being physically in my body. So like, you know, I can't, I, whatever they did to do that, thank them. I, I think every one of them, I thank Rebel yeah. Wilson, James Corden, for the <laughs> improvs that clearly should not have been included, but Tom Hooper thought they were funny. <laughs> <laughs> I, I
3: think I think I don't wanna be like uh like suddenly turning cats into Woodstock and be like, oh man, you had to be there. But the thing is <laughs> yeah. there was something really special about seeing cats like early enough in its run that not everyone knew how crazily catastrophically strange
1: oh, pun was. intended <laughs> catastrophic <laughs> Dan. Like, mm-hmm.
3: but if you if you saw it early on like there would be a good portion of the audience who was there to see cats because they thought cats was gonna be good and yeah. then just like the feeling of like as everyone realized the movie they were watching but still like sort of like over time gave into it and were like you know what this is a better experience than what i originally intended to have
0: you know in 2019 uh in the movie hustlers there's this amazing moment this like pure moment of joy when uh, Usher shows up at the strip club, and little did I know that 2020 would top that moment of joy with a, railra- a railroad cat just showing up. There's
1: something about that moment when Skimble Shanks shows up. It's the it's the moment every movie wants to have when the movie is starting to like lose a little bit of steam, and then suddenly there's this huge shot in the arm, and you're like, "What? How do I have more energy than when the movie yeah. started? Like, what is going on?" Here? He's so he's so oh, butched. He's got
2: the little cat mustache, and he's got the little oh, cat suspenders, yeah. and yeah, the great. idea
1: the idea of like he's a railroad cat, we gotta make him look as much like a Mario cat as possible. <laughs> yeah. Like if Mario was a cat, he's skimble shanks. No, so, and yeah, it is,
0: you immediately gotta go Google Skimbleshanks nude to see how his, muscular his fucking butt ass is amazing. It's <laughs> insane.
3: Everyone everyone listening, go go look out uh go find Skimble
2: Shanks butt on the
3: internet. There's no, a I few pictures out there. It's amazing. I actually I had it uh, not on your work I, computers.
2: The, the, Uh, early on in the pandemic when cats first came out to buy i immediately bought it and then my wife um who i think i went to one screening with didn't really didn't really get the whole thing did not is not a huge bad movie (laughs) fan does not like cats was not the bonding experience uh i wanted it to be but my uh five-year-old Really liked it sincerely. And it was like the perfect, like, that's who should like cats. Perfect, pun intended. (laughs) Perfect. And so, and so, like, it was about a, maybe a three weeks or four weeks into the the pandemic, into quarantine, where we're, we're initially, you know, the first wave of going crazy. Me and her, we would watch it together, and then we would both go nuts when Skimble Shanks came out. <laughs> but, <laughs> well, it's like and,
1: it's and it there's something about to... how in the movie, in the movie, when he shows up, the other cats are like Skimble Shanks, <laughs> fucking Skimble Shanks is here, like Skimble Shanks is here, well, like they can't, they cannot contain I themselves. I think it's
3: after a couple of like more downbeat numbers, and like he like almost literally. Burst through the wall like the Kool Aid Man. Like he just appears <laughs> like up, like in a window or something. He's
2: like, "Hey, skibbleshakes. Uh, that's one of the internal logic. One of the few internal logic problems with Cats the Movie is clearly <laughs> Skimble Shanks should win the fucking contest of the Jellicle yeah. Ball. Is there a yeah. better cat? Yeah. We've seen all of the songs. The whole movie is one by one. The cats come out and say, like, I'm Dimble Damble, and I do the Dimble Damble <laughs> dance. And you're like, okay. And then this fucker comes out, blows the roof off the place, and gets no consideration for the Jellicle <laughs> Ball.
0: He should be he- in the goddamn the air. hot air balloon. They like him too much, they don't want to leave. Here's my theory
1: about Skimble Shanks. Skimble Shanks has been chosen to go to the Heaviside Lair so many times that he has taken himself out of consideration. And he just shows up to perform as like the halftime show to be like, yeah, I could win again, but I don't even want it. Take it. I just want to show you that I could win. He's, he's if just I, been if reincarnated
2: a thousand times like the Dalai Lama. Like he just keeps going up and coming back down yeah. just to like be one among us. I like because the well, they
1: bring his his mustache to they bring his mustache and some other mustaches to a kitten <laughs> and they have the kitten kind of see which one it paws at yeah. and when it picks uh-huh. his mustache they know that this is the reincarnated reincarnated Dolly Skimpleshanks. They just, yeah. they
2: put a little railway in front of him and he just t- starts tip tapping <laughs> away and they're like there we go we have found our shanks. <laughs> There's a moment when
1: they're all on the train where. Uh, all the other people were all the other cats were not Skimble shanks Go woo woo! And you can see in that moment, even the characters in Cats are looking at each other, being like, "Can you believe we're, what a good time we're having? Like this, is, like like they realize the movie has gone insane and they're loving it. Like, uh, yeah, uh, that
0: that was all, that was all improv. Everybody was just super into it. <laughs>
1: well, that's the thing about Cats. The movie is people don't know it's an all improv movie. They just got mm-hmm. together oh, okay. on the set and they just made it up. Well, uh,
0: Elliot, you know, uh,
3: last year around this time, you made a joke about having a yearly uh, Cats. Uh, Show and I think we kind of you guys got to do it. Sorry, Natalie. I'm sorry, Jenny, that we didn't have you back. And also, and also, Hallie, who
1: is very mad that she was not on the cats episode. And I said you'll be on it when we talk about cats again. And apparently, and is not. Listen, there's more.
2: There's more. Don't I don't want to take away any of uh, anyone's opportunity to talk about cats. Uh, You guys can do another special episode. I think the audience will support it. Um, <laughs> I
1: don't know. After, after you talk about Skimble Shanks, what do you mean? Like after you have the chocolate cake, you're not going to go back for the appetizer. Mm-hmm. Like I, there's, there's, I got, there's I got no. It. We're not going to, we're not going to go back and talk about Buster Jones after we, after we
2: <laughs> gave it all up on Skimble Shanks. It's not fun to be an actor in a bad movie, especially when you care, right? And so I wrote a <laughs> pilot with Topher Grace that we sold but never got made, and um, and we were talking about things, and and he sort of talked about it similar to the Gary story of like. Just how um, he's like uh, Topher is a hardcore nerd. Like you know, he likes all of the nerdy comic book stuff. He like he likes all of the you know he does. Um, Stuart and this might you know be of your interest. He does recut movies in his in his in an avid in his basement. That's what he does. So he has a you know he's famously somewhat famously has a one a one movie version of the prequels that he cut down. Um Wow, and when we were working together he he was working on a one movie version of The Hobbit, um, which I was Oof. very excited about because I was like, that's probably the best version. <laughs> the one without the it's just, just watch two hours
0: song. of the barrel the barrel just two hours
1: of them two hours of them singing while they throw plates around Bilbo <laughs> and he goes, huh, what huh?
2: <laughs> just a half an hour of the barrel's getting stuck and then having to like push against a wall to get <laughs> to get back down on the river. Um, so yeah, so, that. so he, you know, that's what he does for his spare time. He, you know, I'll, another little secret behind the business, very few actors know how to work an avid <laughs> and, and do it for their own amusement. And like, he does it cause he just like, he he likes to, he just likes old classic movies and he likes comic books and he likes, you know, the sci-fi stuff and like genre and like. That's one of the things we were we were working on a genre thing, and like that's where his passion is. And him getting to be in Spider Man Three was like a dream come true for him. And he just talked about the excitement of getting the role. If we all remember back to those halcyon days, Spider Man mm-hmm. Two was the pinnacle of of genre cinema at the time. So to be mm-hmm. the new villain in the third one, he was just.
0: I think possibly still it might be my favorite superhero. Movie. Yeah, still my favorite superhero movie. There, Either that or
1: uh, or Superman four, but for different reasons.
0: <laughs> and you and I think coming off
2: two, there's no way you think three is going to be the movie that comes off of that movie, you know. And so he was just <laughs> he was so excited. <laughs> you certainly, you certainly, you
1: certainly don't think. Hmm. I think I think Sam Raimi is going to completely lose interest in these
2: characters. (laughs) And you know what he basically, without getting into too much detail, what he basically described is like he showed up to set and like his excitement was not matched by the rest of the crew and cast and director, and it it just instantly was sort of like oh this is one of those slogs, and then you're like well maybe it'll cut together like you know butter and like it'll be great, and then you go to the premiere and you go oh no it's not and then you know now when they do the listicles of like worst comic book characters it's like the picture of him with the tips and like the tips weren't his idea. The frosted tips, you know, yeah. it wasn't. Yeah. It was like he was like, "This is my interpretation of Venom." Sony, you know, you either you go with me or I, I <laughs> bounce. <laughs>
1: <laughs> look, look, I've done a lot of work on my own preparing to play Venom before now. I've just been slathering myself with oil every day to feel what it's like to have a symbiote <laughs> yeah. covering your body. And uh, let's, we're just gonna do like it's. It must feel. I mean, one Venom is such a such a super cool character. And to be like, I get to play this character, and the director of the movie is like, "Yeah, I don't care. Maybe he just falls out of out of the sky next to Spider-Man, and then and that's how the costume gets to him and jumps on him. And you're like, Are you not going to put any extra effort in? Like it literally just falls out of the sky and lands next to him. <laughs> okay, I guess. Uh, but then my character he gets a lot of gets a lot of attention, right? No, the first time we see you as Venom, I mean, you're literally just going to be kind of like walking a- across a wall in an alleyway. So I get a big reveal? Not really. The audience is going to be like, "Oh, did I just see Venom for the first time? I didn't realize." Hold on a sec. Oh, poor Topher.
2: And I think you know, it's just I think it's useful for people who love bad movies and people who love you know the podcast, just to remember that like, every, most times people are busting their fucking ass, even on something they know isn't very good. Just be out of professional a sense of professional duty at a sense of like the passion for the art and and then a thousand things out of your control happen and it becomes spider-man 3 yeah so
3: you're saying we should laugh all the harder at them when they fail knowing (laughs) how much of themselves
2: they've invested in this yeah it's
1: it's a real accurate representation of how bad they They were really
2: trying to run and they tripped you know that's what's funny if they were just walking it's not as funny
1: yeah, I think that I think you're making a good point. It's something we should all keep in mind as we try to be the best people we can be and the best movie fans we can be. And Dan and Stu, I think we should keep that in mind as we go on to the next movie we we're going to do an episode about, which is Hillbilly Elegy. Oh oh, <laughs> <laughs> <Wah, wah, wah. laughs>
3: um, yeah, it, it is as uh, our guests observed earlier, getting late over here, so we should unfortunately wrap up and uh we will thank you very heartily for being on here and uh, uh i will ask you if you have anything to plug shortly thereafter shortly after elliot quickly plugs our live show which is uh the evening of uh when this is coming out yeah, well, I think you just did a great job right there. That's <laughs> uh, the evening. Uh, uh, Somebody just hit the
0: fucking nitrous. Tickets. Button. Uh, <laughs> tickets will be available.
3: <laughs> tickets will be available right up until uh, showtime at uh, what is it? The Flophouse Podcast. Com. I think is that right,
1: Elliot? Yes, Dan. That's right tonight the night that this episode is released if you're listening to it the day after it was released sorry you missed it but maybe you didn't allow me to explain we'll be watching and talking about well we already watched it we'll just be talking about teen wolf (laughs) that's right teenage wolf the movie that has everything novelty t-shirts basketball, a very sweaty Michael J. Fox, and incredibly unsafe use of a van. That's right. We'll be talking about Teen Wolf tonight, Saturday, February 6th. That's today at 9pm Eastern, 6pm Pacific. It's going to be like a full Flophouse live show. There's going to be presentations beforehand. We're going to have an audience Q&A at the end somehow if we can get the tech to work, find out and see. We've got a couple other special surprises. we got some more segments in this one than we usually do. I think you're going to like it. It's only $10 a ticket, and if you invited a- 100 people over to your house and you just paid for one ticket, we can't stop you. Please. Please don't. Uh, but or you know what? Do I don't I mean, care. No, 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 not It's
3: a super spreader event. <laughs>
1: you know, yeah. I mean, yeah, yeah. It, now is a bad time to invite a hundred people over to your house. <laughs> we don't we responsible for that. Uh, but from a financial point of view, just do whatever. So anyway, that's the flophouse. Don't put the www in. Remember, we told you that's going to mess up that URL. Why are you just, mentioning it now? <laughs> I, I'm sorry. I, I, it's mixed messages. Just go to the flophouse. Tickets will be available basically up to. The time the show is on, and if you cannot watch it tonight, that is okay. The video will be archived for one week. One week we'll be able to archive that video, and you'll be, still have access to it. So buy that ticket, watch it. We're talking Teen Wolf. It's going to be a lot of fun, uh, and I got a special shirt just for the occasion. So if you want to see that shirt, you better go to the Flophouse.Simpletix. Calm. and i also want to say thank you to our guest thank you joel church cooper for coming and spending this time with us and for teaching us a valuable lesson about not being such dicks when we
2: talk <laughs> when we talk about bad movies and uh, um, yeah
3: as i as promised uh also uh if you have anything to plug uh, feel free
2: sure you can follow me on twitter i'm uh, it's church cooper uh, on twitter and uh you can follow me on letterboxd which i am really enjoying if you all you film nerd fans out there it, uh, it's it kind of has the feel of what Twitter used to be, only even more micro-selected. You know, it's just a fun time of people talking about their Criterion channel. So if that, or you can follow Dan McCoy and finds out what movies he's watching stoned. Yeah, I, sure. I, can do I that. like, I, I, which is uh, which I like to do. So uh, join me on Letterboxd, and uh, I just want to say one thing. It was, it was a pleasure to be on the show, and I also wanted to thank you guys. Uh, For me and for all the Flophouse uh, fans out there, for, uh, you know, in the pandemic, I've I've tended to be uh, relying on podcasts, probably an unhealthy degree, to know what day it is sometimes. And uh, (laughs) it's been a real pleasure to listen to you guys. Um, And it's been nice just to hear the sounds of people having fun and friends talking, which is, you know, something that used to be a huge part of my life and now i kind of only live vicariously through the friendships i hear in podcasts and it's wonderful that i still get that chance so i want to thank you guys for that thank you that's as touching as it is sad <laughs> <laughs> and we appreciate it all right but we're, we're all living
3: in
1: that world that's a world we're all in right now uh
3: let's uh sign off thanks once again to our guest joel church cooper i'm dan mccoy
1: i'm Stuart wellington I'm Elliot Kalen, and our guest has been Joel Church Cooper.
3: Good night, everyone. (laughs) Bye. Bye.
2: MaximumFun.org. Comedy and culture. Artist owned. Audience supported.